0: This is Rumble, I'm Michael Moore We are now a month uh, past the moment More than a month now Past the moment where uh, Joe Biden was declared the the winner of this election And um, and so we are still, today in the news 17 states have told the Supreme Court They filed one of those friendly briefs or whatever they're called the Supreme court saying that they support the attorney general of Texas who is trying to to stop and overturn this election. They have, these people have not uh, given up and that 17 states, 17 states attorneys general have joined in on this. And I think, you know, maybe a lot of you listening to this a little bit, a little bit of me too, have sort of, you know, relaxed a little bit here thinking that, okay, we got through this. We got, we're okay. We're okay. Mm. And then you see this happen today and you see um, Trump is just like mad tweeting big hashtag in blue, not in black. The tweet was in blue. It was one word in all caps overturn. Now, first of all, props to him for figuring out how to get a tweet in color. Cause I still uh, can't do that. So, all right. He's got that figured out, but I thought today we have got to talk to an expert uh, because I, I am now back to being legitimately worried about what the hell is going on. And whether that whether that results in Trump succeeding, which, of course, we all hope and know and pray that he doesn't. But what does this mean for the future? A bit before we go any further, I also want to thank our other underwriter for today's episode, if I can just take a second to do that. It's Ray Khan. Uh, They have been with us now for a few months. Uh, Raycon, of course, makes those great wireless earbuds. High quality, but unlike the other earbuds, half the price. So these were invented by the great songwriter and rapper uh, Ray J. And, of course, he's got Snoop Dogg and uh, Melissa Etheridge and a bunch of others uh, using them. I love them. Uh, You know, I mean, the holiday season has started. People are looking for things to give to others and and to give the gift of music in a way where that music sounds so good and, and can be done at an affordable price considering what some of these other things are, or what they're charging. You get six hours of playtime with them. Uh, it's got more bass, very compact design, very easy to carry around. And it's amazing, too, how it just cuts out all the other noise that's around or in the room or whatever. So give them a try. All you got to do is, you know, go on there on their website. You just go on to buyraycon.com, buyraycon.com slash rumble. Go there today. You get the 20% off your Raycons. You'd be listening to this podcast. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Ray J for supporting this podcast. And thank you, Raycon. Raycon. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N. Okay. Buyraycon.com slash rumble. I've invited a person onto the podcast here today that many of you uh, may remember if you watched my last film Fahrenheit eleven nine, not nine eleven eleven nine. That's the date in twenty sixteen that Trump uh, was elected. And uh, and if you haven't seen it, uh, it's free on Prime right now for I think like I don't know the next year. So please please watch it. Uh, but my guest here. Um. Said some very powerful things in uh, this film, and um, and you'll recall if you have seen the film that we we showed how Donald Trump did not just simply fall out of the sky. The Trump presidency was the logical logical conclusion to decades of a corrupt political system, a brutal economic system, and us us collectively never really confronting our racist and sexist past or present. And due to many years of purposeful dumbing down of our society, turning us from citizens into consumers. Trump, as I've said before, was not an aberration or a mistake. Trump is us. Or a certain version of us. If you watched that film of mine, you'll also remember that the scholar and author Ruth Ben-Ghiat, warning us about the fascist threat from Donald Trump. This was this film we're talking about. This, this is back in 2018. Ruth is a professor of history and Italian studies at NYU, and she's now written a book called "Strong Men: From Mussolini to the Present." In it, she studies Trump in the context of fascist rulers throughout history, and their use of lies, corruption, and threats of violence to stay in power. And my friends, I am excited right now to once again be speaking with Ruth Ben-Ghiat. Welcome to Rumble, Ruth.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be speaking with you.
0: Yes, it's 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 been a while, but your words from that film Ring in my ears uh, to this day. And um and I guess I just want to ask you because, you know, I'm sort of laughing along with all the goofiness that Trump is doing and and you know the things that he's um well everything that he's up to right now. So we've all had a good laugh now. Now that Biden is the president elect, and we're watching Trump, and we're watching Rudy, and we're watching that—I mean—that great Saturday Night Live skit the other night, that where they didn't do any writing, the writers—they—they literally—and the way that they played the characters with so the exact people in Michigan—that that it was just stunning um, to see. And I think this is the best way now with satire is trying to satirize that which is already pre-cooked as satire. It's impossible. So to just give into it and just just reenact it, um, that hearing that the Michigan Senate, controlled by the Republicans in Michigan, had last week. And oh, we're all having a good laugh over it. And then the week before that, Rudy's hair dye dripping down his face. I posted something from The Onion today about uh, it showed Rudy in front of the, um, he's at the Georgetown Hospital with COVID-19 right now. So it shows him you know, downstairs in the basement of the Georgetown University Hospital in front of the hospital incinerator. He's got the door open and he's screaming, COVID shall die with me. <laughs> he's throwing himself into the incinerator. Okay. It's it's a little dark. It's funny. But Ruth, um, something tells me uh, it's a little bit too early. Like the football player that starts celebrating on the two-yard line, not knowing somebody's right behind him. And he's not going to make it into the end zone. That we might be doing an end zone dance on the two yard line here, in the sense that, I mean, I don't want to scare people that that all of a sudden, holy hell is going to break loose. But I think it's maybe a little too early to just be sitting back and having a, a good laugh off of Trump's uh, uh, foibles.
1: Oh, I I agree. Um, but to uh, the to the point of uh, Rudy in the incinerator brought to mind a quote from Charlie Chaplin, who's a very good observer of humanity, and it's in my book, Strongman. He said something like, uh, dictators come from below, and then they dig themselves into holes and go even lower, and the world watches and jumps into the hole with them.
0: Mm, Wow. Yeah. That's a great quote.
1: I use that where, you know, (laughs) These these are very destructive rulers. Everybody, from in their own way, from Mussolini up to Trump, and they bring they help people to be their worst selves. Um, and they are as leaders the worst they could be, especially when people need them the most. And these are things that I conclude at the end of this book. Um, but Trump has uh, he has all the characteristics, he has all the tendencies, and we're seeing all the results
0: are we in trouble <laughs> i mean are we
1: we're we're in we're in I, I we're in trouble and i've never been able to do much laughing i don't want to be a party pooper but i, I always find these things very frightening um, because what's going on now has been set up by trump for you know 5 years now with his propaganda about rigged elections his you know, brainwashing of his followers, the loyalists, all the system. A, this, he's set up this kind of authoritarian political culture, and the GOP's been very happy. And what he's mainly done that's, that's coming home to roost now is he's legitimized lawlessness. And I, I had to turn in my book in the summer, so I didn't know how the um, election would end. But the last things I say about Trump is that I predicted he wasn't going to leave office quietly and I didn't know what else would happen so this is this is very predictable the rhetoric is predictable um and we we're in so people are talking about coups um and it does qualify as like a self-coup when someone's in power and doesn't want to leave but it's also a kind of shock event and men like Trump love to um give a shock to the system to see um, like a jolt to the system to see what they can get away with. And so that's what we're seeing now.
0: So he's testing.
1: Oh, he's testing and he's been trying, you know, he's tried, so he's trying the electoral stuff and then he clearly investigated the military option, which is why General Millet, uh, you know, all of a sudden came out and pointedly said, Oh, hi! The armed forces is going to obey only the constitution and not an individual. So mm-hmm. he tried that, and that wasn't working. So now he's still, you know, going on with the electoral uh, maneuvers, and he's also starting with the energizing the militia and that kind, that whole route.
0: It's it's. Um, I find the, my laughter over all this is I, I realized it's it's not because I think it's funny. It's I'm I'm afraid, frankly, mm-hmm. and I think I, I the laughter is a mechanism to shoot some of the, some kind of endorphin wherever that's at in my brain to sort of calm down, calm down what's going on and just and everybody I'm sure most people listening to this podcast right now are saying, Mike Ruth it, it's all it's going to be okay it's going to be okay you know we, systems are in place uh, even Judge Amy uh, wouldn't go along with the Pennsylvania request. Mm-hmm couple days ago. And so that's a good sign. That's a good sign. And, um, yeah. Okay. It's a good sign or is it? Uh, yeah. I'm not so quick to just feel better or to feel good. Oh, good. Judge Amy did the right thing. Well, oh, I don't really know what went on. Maybe it wasn't a good case for them to hang their hat on. I mean, that's why they've all, they've been waiting for the right abortion case where they can really, really get rid of Roe v. Wade. And, um, and maybe that's what will happen this year, but I just, I think, um, I think right now in the moment that we're in, that he's still calling speakers of the house in state legislatures. He knows that these legislators can, um, kind of in some ways do what they want to do. The electors can kind of do what they want to do, depending on the different state laws and rules about this. But, um, but I think you just made me think of something, this this idea of testing. Testing, maybe not so much for what he hopes the outcome will be this year, but because he's not going away. Right. And because there are other people like him who are smarter than him, who are every bit as much in favor of authoritarianism, they too want to see how far could you get in this country? How yeah,
1: that's, that's an important point. Everything that's being done is uh, – and, and it's very important that Democrats have a ve- vehement reaction. <clears throat> Even if we get to January and Biden takes office, it's very important to have a, p- a strong pushback against all the corruption and all the like, normalizing uh, white supremacy because other people are watching. And these could be other Trumps. Uh, you know, Ivanka Trump has been marketed for years as a world leader. You know, I was, this This was, this is so, one of the things that made me very distressed when I saw um, her inserted repeatedly into world leader photos, like mm. in 2019, mm. the G20 photo. Mm. Oh, and yeah. She's, in, she's not just in the photo, she's in the center. Right. And I thought, you know, what appeasement is this? Why didn't Macron and Trudeau and these people, why, why is she there? But she's there for a reason, so... So it's both Trumps who are watching and it's also other people. But, uh, you know, so many people are, and it's a way of saying, well, something worse could come. And that's true. But I prefer to keep the focus now on the, th- the thing we know that's very bad <laughs> that we have right now because we're not out of the woods yet.
0: And describe what that is, what we have right now, the, where the focus, that focus should be.
1: So we're in this waiting game, but which sounds like we are very passive, but we're in the middle of this attempt to illegally stay in power, to manipulate. So this is what, in, in the book that goes over 100 years, it's divided into three periods. You have the fascist years, you have military coups, and I'm doubly glad that I devoted so long to studying coups now. <laughs> then you have this new authoritarians, which is 21st century people, and they come in through elections. So the military coup is kind of, you know, it's not as common now um, and then they have to manipulate elections to stay there and that's what Putin has done in fact Putin's taken it to a whole other art where you know he has to poison people who are rivals like Alexei Navalny to keep them off the ballot right right so but he's been there for 20 years and so a lot of people I remember when we did our film together you know people would say well why are you talking about Trump as a fascist and you know, he's, you're making this film, you're speaking out, but everybody started somewhere. And a lot of the leaders that Trump admires, they've been in power a long time. And so I prefer to look, he's done a lot, Trump, in four years. Look at how he's domesticated the GOP. He's actually had a lot of success in certain goals that he had, which are not goals of democratic presidents.
0: Right, and the power that he had before the presidency—I mean, he was a dominant figure in our culture, mm-hmm. um, a dominant figure in the culture and media capital of New York. Uh, a lot of us out in the Midwest, we we didn't we did you know we didn't see the cover of the New York Post every other week with him at Studio Fifty Four or whatever girlfriend he had or whatever. That we, that we didn't know about him. Um, but um, but the people in power media, uh, financial uh, culture, uh, they knew of him here very well in New York. And you know this this five years we've had to put up with him since he came down the golden uh, uh, escalator. how about how about um, what was it? I don't know, four years before that? when he started in in real, I mean, he didn't start it, but he took it and became the leader of birtherism.
1: Yeah, that was his entry into, when he was exploring a presidential run, he chose, he hitched his wagon to conspiracy theories and overt racism. And then, you know, some years later, it was after eight years of Barack Obama, which never, many Americans never, it was an affront uh, that Barack Obama was even in office. And this, by the way, is, um, so the book has a lot of, it, it's looking for patterns. And so one of the main things is that these leaders like Trump, they find fortune when there's been a lot of social emancipation, either racial equity, uh, you know, taboos, and have been have fallen by the wayside, like having an African-American as president, gender equity, workers' rights. And then these figures come up, and they're going to, like, turn the clock back. You know, and and that's why elites uh, are all too happy to partner with them. Um, but the other the other thing is with Trump that we were saying before is this glamour figure. I think that when these when these men come to office and do their destruction, cultures learn a lot about themselves, and you have and you have to ask yourself hard questions. Usually after the rubble, in the smoking rubble, when they're gone, and one of them is uh, that I. I I I only have male leaders and I talk a lot about virility as a tool of rule. I take it seriously because we've had this fetish of a certain model of power that's built on this kind of, you know, outlaw male glamour and all the things that Trump is. And so in that sense, and, and it impoverishes politics, it reduces politics to spectacle. And so in a sense, all of these things come together with Trump and he's shown how devastating it can be uh, to when someone like that gets power and is adulated um, and those values take over. And and it's it's very, it's very destructive.
0: And talk about adulation, 74 million of our fellow Americans voted for him. You know, I, I had many concerns and various worries about, I, I kept telling people before the election, take him seriously, don't do what you did last time. The fact that it went up 11 million, in other words, these are 11 million people who did not vote for him in 16 watched what he did for four years and went, "Huh, not bad. (laughs) I like that. And, and came out and voted for him. And I thought for sure, I mean, every, every, you know, the the statistic that 53% of white women voted for him in 2016 and, um, And that was two-thirds of white men. And I used to make this joke about how, you know, uh, (laughs) anytime you see three white guys walking down the street toward you, you need to cross to the other side because two of them voted for Trump. Um, But um, the the fact that, well, first of all, so it went from 53% of white women voting for Trump in this election. Now, the early, and and I don't think all the data is in yet, shows 55% of white women voted for Trump. So it went up two points. With white yeah.
1: Ruling. And, and, you know, this brings up this, and it's, it's an eternal question. Why do the most misogynistic, you know, uh, women bashing leaders uh, have these broad bases of women who vote for them? Because it's not just Trump before in Italy at Berlusconi, who was very similar in many right. respects, even had this like special relationship with Putin, which is how I start the book on that the night, Obama was elected. Um, instead of watching, you know, the results, like most world leaders, Berlusconi, who was married at the time, was getting ready to have sex with an escort, and he tells her because the conversations are wiretapped, he tells her to wait for him at Putin's bed, because Putin gave him a bed. They had this like male bond, mm. and he gave Putin a duvet with their faces on it. Oh so, my god! But. But this is, he, one of his biggest bases was housewives. And he was the most misogynist, is exactly like Trump. Uh, uh, and and so there is this, I was trying to figure this out while writing the book, why does this happen? And, and some of it's racism. Um, sure. Some of it is white women feel superior to non-white men. Um, mm-hmm. When you have a leader who makes this, community of inclusion, included and excluded, which is goes with authoritarian politics. But they also like his theatricality because he's always the victim. He's always whining. And so on the one hand, he's the alpha male. On the other hand, he actually makes people feel protective of him because he needs protecting. So I have this collection of quotes from journalist articles They go to rallies, they interview women. And women, this one, they'll say stuff like, I would wade through a sea of COVID to protect Trump. Yeah, and and this is this is um, because they're performers and they know how to perform this. It seems authentic to people, uh, and so that's something we have to. We can't really just. All of this might seem like very superficial, but it works.
0: I was having dinner after the 2016 election, about a month after. With a group of filmmakers, we were just sitting talking, you know, what do we do now? Uh, what, do we, what lessons can we learn from this? And um, one of the one of the women uh, filmmakers um, said that she wasn't surprised at all that Trump got the white female, not the black female. The black female vote was like 97, 98% uh, for Hillary, but the white female vote. And, and her theory on this was what you had just started to mention a few minutes ago was they actually are attracted to him. They, the, the, the virility and the sort of, he has the sort of swagger. That's a kind of a fuck you swagger. And, and that they, and that she said that women, especially women who are married to who she called opioid Joe, like they're, they're looking at Trump on the TV full of swagger, never takes his mafia trench coat off. Um, uh, And then they look over on the couch (laughs) <laughs> and there's, there's the husband asleep, doped up, you know, and then look back at the TV, look over at the couch. And it's like, yeah, I'd rather be with that, that guy.
1: Yeah. yeah. And no one's more glamorous than Donald Trump. And men also look up to him because he has only the most beautiful women around him. That, and and Berlusconi did this too. They surround themselves with models and beauty queens. And so they seem to have it all.
0: And I think men, too, also like him, if I can just speak on behalf of my gender. Uh, <laughs> it seems like he can just say anything he wants, do whatever he wants. And, and of course, everybody has this fantasy that God, what would life be like if you literally could just say what you want to say, do what you want to do, to hell with everything else. and And, and it seems to guys especially – Um, And especially the working class that already feels so beaten down by the system that here's this guy that just doesn't give a shit. And when he says I could shoot somebody in the middle of fifth Avenue and get away with it like that to a guy, that's just, he's playing the, he's playing the best piece of music you could play at that point.
1: Yeah. And, and actually this is, this is a theme throughout the book because they all do this. They, They have this um, macho lawlessness, and that's what authoritarianism has been. It's been um, getting away with things, and so they're personality cults. um, I have an op-ed in the LA Times today on Trump's personality cult, and it's really interesting. The canons haven't, like the rules of the personality cult haven't changed for 100 years, and Trump fits them all. So you have to be a man of the people, like very approachable. But you have to be a man above all other men. You're the man who gets away with things ordinary men can't. So there we go with the I could shoot someone, and you know what he's saying is I wouldn't lose followers. It's also saying he's going to get away with it. He's not going to be prosecuted.
0: You live in an apartment. You see, this is this is again the male, the mind that we are blessed with through um, evolution. <clears throat> if I could use. Both of those words. Yeah. Um, we are taking down the garbage, living in the apartment building here, taking it down to the garbage room. And there's the blue bin and the and the green bin and the beige bin. And we're supposed to, you know, one's for uh, glass and one's for plastic and one's for cardboard or newspaper. And, you know, every guy, um, not every guy. Okay. Not every guy looks, <laughs> looks at this and just for once would like to say, fuck it. I'm just putting this trash right here. I'm just putting it down the chute. I'm not gonna. Why well, don't I'm tired of being told what to do, and, and yeah. I, I if you've ever been married to any of us, or if you ever been, or if you had a brother or brother-in-law or whatever, I you have to put up with this. And I know it's got to be awfully infuriating at some point, but um, but,
1: yeah, the rule breaking is really important.
0: It's so important. Yeah.
1: And it actually, it, it it goes to, it connects to what's going on now because I, I, I believe that, so authoritarianism is not just about following orders. It's about feeling liberated that to think there are no limits and the leader sets the example of lawlessness. And so I think that uh, pe- somebody like William Barr and Lindsey Graham, because people are always talking about Lindsey Graham like You know, he hated Trump and all of a sudden something happened. So people say, oh, you know, is he being blackmailed? And Trump blackmails a lot of people. We know that. But I also think uh, with these characters, some of them had this life of like seeming rectitude. And all of a sudden they're allowed to break the rules to do things that were not okay to do and they get rewarded by Trump for doing it. So Barr has politicized justice. Then he was going, you know, going on private missions to Rome, but it was never clear what was going on there. He's doing things that he wouldn't have been able to do. And I think this is very thrilling for a lot of people. And so in, in the book, I have a chapter. I added a chapter on corruption because I needed to explain these things and it's not just financial corruption it's moral corruption like how do they get people how do they get conspirators to do their bidding like people like Barr, who's in the book um and this rule breaking is a lot of it
0: what who else do you have so we've mentioned uh berlusconi um and uh putin and of course mussolini's in the title but what other examples historic examples can you share with us to make us feel not so abnormal in the sense that, that Trump is part of a, a larger collective of, of authoritarian thought of totalitarian behavior. Um, and, and many of these men, um, yes, we say, and we say men, because I, I'm, I'm sure that there's, uh, there must be a woman or two throughout history that has uh, created a genocide of millions of people or, um, or um, you can stop me at any point here because we know that historically, <laughs> women for, who who have their own issues generally don't um, don't do these things. But what these men? What are some? Uh, give me some other examples here that, that that we may not be thinking of, right off the top of our heads historically. But actually, we can see that there's there's been a connect the dots effort here amongst various uh, so-called leaders uh, throughout the world.
1: Yeah, so all the chapters go, so the, the core of the book is these chapters of on the tools of rule, propaganda, corruption, virility, and violence, and the myth of national greatness is like make America great again, um, and put that in historical perspective. So all of them go over 100 years, so you could see how certain situations repeat. So, for example... Um, so I have like Gaddafi, uh, I have Mobutu, so it's a global. I have Pinochet in Chile, which is very interesting, you know, what happened because of the coup. But what's very interesting is that Trump's uh, care. this is not good for us, but Trump's character is exactly the same as the character of Mussolini and of, you know, M- M- Mobutu and Gaddafi. And they set up similar governance structures. And the outcome's very different, of course. We're not in a one-party old-fashioned dictatorship. But the character is the same. So they set up these inner sanctums f- filled with flatterers and sycophants and family members because and family members are always in there because they can be counted on to be corrupt. And there's even a paragraph about sons-in-law um, who have special duties, you know, from Mussolini's son-in-law to Jared Kushner. So um, it's, it was remarkable the um, dysfunctions that come from uh, these very flawed, destructive people getting absolute power. And of course, Trump uh, is not ruling in a one-party state, but he's been able to have, to ex- exert absolute power within the GOP to the point where they acquitted him uh, in, the, in the impeachment trial. And Sheryl um, uh, Brown, the Democratic senator, went around and asked Republicans off the record why they acquitted Trump. And they all said they were afraid. Um, Hmm. they feared. And so this is a dynamic that you find with Gaddafi's rule. You find it with Mussolini's rule. And so these are things that continue.
0: All these adjectives in the the subhead of your book, strong men, uh, and it ends with virility and violence. Uh, I think we've got the the virility uh, part uh, covered uh, pretty well, but the, the violence violence. I I was, I think I was watching Nicole Wallace here yesterday and, and um, she asked Steve uh, Schmidt, uh, another Mm -hmm. ex Republican, uh, when, when will they, meaning Trump and his followers now cross that line of violence? And he said, cross it. It's in the rearview mirror. It's already been crossed. Uh, A threat is violence. Language can be violence and violence is violence. And in fact, This past weekend, last weekend, with the Secretary of State, the state of Michigan, Jocelyn Benson, she's in charge of the elections. And all of a sudden, she's she's putting up Christmas decorations in her house with her four-year-old. And all of a sudden, she hears this noise outside the house, and she opens up the door, and there are all of these people, mostly men, with guns, with Mm -hmm. long guns. And they are, what's the new chant now? Not lock her up, but stop the steal. Stop the steal. Stop the steal. They're brandishing these guns. I, I just, I'm just, you know, and being a Michigander, I'm like, I, I can't. Well, here we are now many days later, many days, a week almost later. And um, nothing has happened to these men who were there threatening her and her children there in the house at her private residence. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I I swear to God, if I did that, if I did that at uh, outside of somebody's house like that with guns and a bunch of people with me, I think I need a lawyer and some bail money. The fact that all these days later that they have not been arrested, not been charged, not even been called in for questioning. We don't even know who they are. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I I support the attorney general in Michigan. I'm, I voted for her. Uh, she's actually great, uh, and 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 there's you know, but where are the police? Where are the state police? Why haven't these individuals been taken in? How is it in a, in a free society? Look, they have a right to protest. I'm completely in support of that, and they have a right to protest outside her home too. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that's a little, maybe a little much, not right to bring the family in like that, especially kids, but. Yeah, they have a right to they have a right to protest. And you know what? Uh, I don't like it, but they have a right to that gun that they're carrying. Well, here's what they don't have a right to do: protest with that gun outside the, the private home and put any time. Isn't an, I'm not a lawyer, but I think I know the law. If you do something, it's the old you know putting your thumb and your finger in your pocket to make it look like you've got a gun. If you do anything that gives me the sense that puts me in a sense of danger and fear that something could happen to me in any minute right now, any second I could be dead. That, that, causing that is the act of violence.
1: Yeah, and and we also have to, again, when you, when you look at these things with the eye of uh, authoritarian contexts and context matters, this is an election official being harassed and threatened. And these are things that happened in Putin's Russia. It also reminds me of, uh, early fascism, when Mussolini was still a uh, prime minister of a democracy and and we always think about Hitler for good reasons, but Mussolini is much more relevant because he was prime Minister for three years of a democracy and he 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 legitimized there was already a lot of violence from squadrism, like in also in Germany, but he legitimized uh, violence around elections. <laughs> In many many parallels before he declared dictatorship, and so these are things that happen um, in, in not in democracies. And I think that one of the hard truths that we will need as a nation to reckon with to protect uh, our democracy going forward is to look at America with different eyes. And I think one of the strengths I, I've had coming to this is that I'm I'm not a historian of America. And I spent a lot of time outside, you know, America. My parents are not American. And so I studied the history of fascism and other regimes. And then I took these this global lens and I trained it on America starting in 2016. And things look very different. Um, everything from GOP's race politics to uh, what's going on now. And Trump is, he's always used an authoritarian playbook. And so he's... Energize these extremists, and this is what these men do: they take existing extremist tendencies and anti-democratic tendencies, and they legitimate them, and then they radicalize the police. and Barr's been working very hard to radicalize the police. I've written, I've read all of the speeches he's given to police associations, and they're very frightening. They're actual, it's awful. they're right-wing authoritarian. The rhetoric is. Yes. Some of it actually overlaps with what Pinochet used to say in Chile. Yeah.
0: Don't be fooled just because Barr didn't go along with this uh, latest thing and Trump's mad at him. That's just a sideshow that's going on. Barr Barr has historically and certainly in his time as attorney general, um, more than one attorney and more than one constitutional uh, uh, scholar has pointed out uh, the lawlessness of our attorney general uh, here in the form of Bill Barr. Um I have so I have two big questions here to ask you and so obviously I think obviously the first one is the short term what do we do right now we it's still what is it I don't know 40 days till the inauguration um somewhere around that we've got to get there we got to get them out of there and uh and I know I'll ask you the long term question next but the short term what do we do what do people listening to this what can they do to uh To, Because I think we must not let our guard down, that that this is not paranoia. This is not anything other than just being smart. Every time, every time, and everybody listening to this, just think of anything that has happened during the Trump years. You said to yourself at some point, oh, well, that's the end of him now. Or -hmm. or he'll never get away with that. Or that, he's definitely going. And every time... And you can say, yeah, well, okay, you know, he lost the election, but I I haven't said this on on my podcast yet. He won in 2016 by winning the three states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and it was a total of 77,700 votes. This time, this time Biden won, Trump lost by losing Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. That's where those electoral votes are that put Biden – that put if if just those three puts Biden over by by two electoral votes, but he but but Biden only won those three states by forty two thousand, so Trump won his three states that got him in the White House with a seventy seven thousand vote margin, Biden forty two thousand
1: mm-hmm. vote
0: margin, so so I'm legitimately on guard here. What do we need to be aware of, be thinking about, and be ready? to do um, should Trump start succeeding in his attempt to overturn this election.
1: Yeah, I think that um, one of the interesting things has been the, the strength of democracy at the local level, right? And even among some Republican judges who've turned back his attempts to nullify the results and all the other maneuvers he's doing. And that's been interesting to me because Trump has been trying to, um, you know, exert executive authority over um, cities and states from the beginning, and that's part of his authoritarianism, like punishing uh, c- cities for being sanctuary cities, if you remember. And all of his stuff has al- always played, all of his shock events have always played out at the local level and caused chaos at the local level, and also now with his criminal uh, mismanagement of the pandemic, so there's a lot of ill will that he has at the local level, even among some Republican officials, and that's been interesting. So, um, some people who are more optimistic, who are, including people who were in the Republican Party and, and congressmen, think that after the Electoral College meets, uh, some of the Republicans who've been privately uh, talking to Biden and congratulating him, but they're too afraid to publicly admit that Trump lost. Some people think that that will be a turning point. I think that's next week, right? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I hope that's the case, of course. And I have been, um, and and I'm the opposite of starry-eyed, but it's been interesting to me that this phenomenon that's called elite defection, hasn't happened more and that is when you have your you make your authoritarian bargain with the elites the GOP and they stick with you through thick and thin right no matter what you do or say they stick there with you right but when it looks like the person is is his stars falling he's going down usually in history they start to peel off these people
0: they're not peeling off
1: and that's what's been that's why when people say Trump's a clown and I can't you know I, I can't deal with people uncle still saying that Trump isn't serious, he's not competent. He's been highly competent at doing what he wanted to do. And this is the result we have. So some people who know Republican politics very well, having been part of them, do believe that uh, there will be some movement among Republicans after the electoral college. Mm. If that doesn't happen, then um, we're looking at an even more dire situation.
0: Yeah, I. there are 52, 53 Republicans in the U.S. Senate as of today, as we're recording this, only six. Six. Only six of these 52, 53 Republicans in the Senate and only 20 of the 200 or so Republicans in the House. Wow. that, that To expect that on uh, Electoral College Day um, that they're all going to just... Uh, uh, Okay, water safe everybody in the pool. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't I have a feeling I think it may be a little more like this. Obviously they in reality they'll have to accept the fact that there's somebody else living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. but they can also do what the New York police did to, to uh, uh, build de Blasio in his uh, first year when he just uttered some just kind of harmless comment about... Um, how the citizens are to be treated by the police and how he was going to get rid of the uh, stop-and-frisk laws Mm -hmm. that were hugely racist. And so de Blasio shows up. I don't know if it was was for memorial service or something. Do you remember this? And all the police turned their backs on him. And he had to walk down this long row of police on either side being shunned with their backs turned. And I think, sadly, uh, this this will be one of the successes of Trump in his final 40 days is that um, he will get the majority of Republicans in the Senate, in the House, vast majority of them, to just not acknowledge, just not acknowledge that he's there and, and just refuse to participate in anything that would help the people of the United States of America.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And then the other part of this is that Trump is saying, now whether this happens or not, it, it doesn't matter in a sense right now. He's saying he's going to run in 2024. And, and the reason this this yeah. is important is that he, Trump ha, has spent a huge amount of effort cultivating uh, the obedience of all these Republicans, making them afraid. You can only imagine what kind of oppo research and other things have gone on to keep these people in line and, and cronyism. So he's not going to give that up. And he's not going to give his personality cult up with his, he's going to take his 74 million souls with him, like the devil he is. And, and, right. but the effect will be to, to keep the troops in line. Right. Um and the other, the thing I'm longer term worried about is is um, actually trying to, and this comes from uh, writing about Chile. So what happened in Chile is before the coup, um, the coup was designed to take away the socialist president Allende. And it, the CIA was involved very heavily, but so were many Chileans. Um, and they basically use uh, you know, psychological warfare and economic warfare and various things to make Allende's presidency ungovernable, very, very difficult. Uh, polarization, all kinds of things that went on. And the point was, even though they were planning a coup, the point was to turn popular opinion against, an elite opinion against Allende. So they would accept the coup. So I'm a little worried that... Um, that the Republicans, led around by ringmaster Trump, whatever, whether he runs or not, he'll still be there. And they will make, um, they will try and make the Biden-Harris administration unworkable. They will also uh, sow civil unrest and make things extremely unstable so that when 2024 comes, or even the 2022 uh, midterms, uh, the Republicans will be in good shape, and the Democrats will look like a crisis. Uh, it will be like a, cr- a continuing crisis. That's a longer-term thing I'm I'm afraid of.
0: Okay, well that then leads into this last question: What about the long term here? Those 74 million aren't going anywhere. That it, I just I just think, wow, you know, Trump almost won in a landslide. What t- what turned out the extra? You know, uh, 14 million, Biden got 14 million more votes than Hillary did. Where'd they come from? Well, I mean, they were asked by pollsters, why did you vote for Biden? And the number one answer was to get rid of Trump
1: Yeah.
0: or he's not Trump. 58% said that that was their answer. Wow. It wasn't because of Biden. So what is this what does this mean in the sense of what's ahead here for us? Because those 74 million Trump voters, they're not going anywhere.
1: So Trump is a danger in and of himself, but he's just as much a danger because he has um, he has crossed these thresholds and allowed others to cross them, where things that you thought were were unthinkable are now possible, um, both in the legitimation of lawlessness, in the um, getting both grassroots uh, solid support, which we saw even grew, and elite um, support for somebody who's incompetent and doesn't care about the American people and doesn't care about his job. Because Trump Trump's job as president was never to govern Americans. It was always to make money for Trump organization. And that's why he's been at a Trump property one out of every three days. So when people point to his golfing and they say he's lazy and he's nothing to be afraid of, it's, he's working very hard when he's golfing to make money for Trump organization. So, so he did those things very, very successfully. Um, but he also, in the process, just struck down all kinds of uh, norms of ethics and government and any kind of norm that's what his goal was to break norms, and so someone else can come along and um, do that far more competently and this goes back to the um, the hard truth that we have to reckon with that the GOP is not a democratic with a small D party. their political culture is not is not that of a democracy, and one of the biggest um, they had, you know, they had largely given up the idea of bipartisan governance, even when Trump was coming into office. And think about like these bedrock democratic values: like you, you may not agree with your opponent, but you re- respect their right to exist. When the GOP went along with Trump saying "lock her up," I mean, this—I think we've we've normalized these these outrageous things. I mean, what does that mean to lock someone up just because she's your opponent? That's what juntas do, right? And Cold War juntas do this. Right. And we, we accepted this, meaning not that you and I accepted it, but it's been around in the culture. And indeed, it's become a favored ritual of Trump rallies. There's t-shirts, you know, you could buy saying, lock her up. So we We've become desensitized to this level of violence and lawlessness, and that is really scary. And one of one of the another lesson of history is that m- many of the leaders who have this kind of success with um, personality cults and you know followers who'd say I'll take a I'd, you know, I'd die for him. Um, they come from backgrounds uh, of journalism or entertainment, uh, a high number of them, who I write about like you know, Mussolini was a journalist and then Mobutu in the Congo was a journalist. And so they really know how to be what the culture wants them to be. And because they have no morals, um, no principles beyond getting to power and staying there, they, they will ally with anyone and they'll be whoever you need them to be. So this is very seductive to people. So I wasn't really surprised. Even in the middle of a pandemic, and economic crisis uh, that he gained votes. The lessons that can be learned, and we saw this with the the outcome of the election, so many people mobilized, and even the midterms in 2018 brought record numbers of women and people of color to power, that uh, we have learned, I think many of us, uh, especially white people who probably took their freedoms for granted, and I think it's been an enormous uh, laboratory of de- democratic education to have all of this happen, including all the things that went on this summer with the repression of the protests. And, you know, hundreds of journalists were assaulted and detained. Um, and these are things that are not business as usual, uh, that, that in particular. So, so we have to build on that. We have to be unified. Uh, in the past, including at the rise of Hitler, one of the reasons the right has been able to prevail is because the, the center and the left were divided. So there'll be that work to do. And then I, I do believe in building bridges. And I end the, the book. The book's got plenty of uh, grim things in it. But it ends on a hopeful note about um, the the power of um, civic education to inculcate uh, democratic values of compassion and solidarity and empathy. So I think that although there a uh, a hard core of Trump supporters who are just gone and it's not gonna be possible to talk to them, it might be some of your listeners, family members. Uh, both my parents love Trump. Um, luckily they're not in the States, so they're not voting, mm. <laughs> but they, they adore Trump. Mm. Um, but um, there, and this is actually my mother, who adores Trump, but she said had she been uh, in this state, she also would have voted for him because uh, Biden was going to bring like so- socialist apocalypse. So I think there were a number of voters who maybe didn't love Trump, but didn't want Biden. The same as we were saying before on the show that many people voted for Biden because he wasn't Trump. I do think there is a, a, a subset of voters who thought that um, you know, Biden would just be the collapse of everything. And when they see that everything's not going to collapse, perhaps they'll be more persuadable. Mm. And part of the, the civic education is to is to I think that you know we have show she have shown as a people such a disrespect for life, mm. um, for people's dignity and people's yeah. right to have a living wage and right to have um, safety. Um, from assault weapons and the right to have health care. And Americans have a very different attitude and they don't some of them don't know any better. Some of them just are resigned and they are they're indoctrinated that this is going to be socialism. So I think that a grassroots initiatives to to show people with policies also that as you said, um, so the 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 Biden Harris administration has a lot of a lot of work to do because these, these years are crucial. Uh, we could turn one way and consolidate what, what Trump has started, or we could, you know, build on the election. And I want to end on this note that it's truly historic what we did with the election because very few peoples have the chance to turn back um, a process of authoritarian capture that's ongoing. And we, we did that. So we can we can hang on to that, but we have to we have to um, consolidate the gains.
0: Ruth Benjiette, whose book is called Strong Men uh, from Mussolini to the Present. I encourage you uh, to, to read this book. Um, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right, be well and thank you and thank you all of you who are listening uh, to my podcast I greatly appreciate it We're coming up on our, our one year uh, anniversary here in a, in a week or so so Thank you, uh, all of you who've tuned in uh, this past year. This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore.